last class we saw that sri ramakrishna is indicating that vidya sagar is a siddha so there we find that just hearing that vidya sagar asked that how is that sir what do you mean that i am siddha so how is it that sir so the master then replied laughing so when potatoes and other vegetables are well cooked they become soft and tender and you possess such a tender nature you are so compassionate and there was a laughter as we indicated there is a pun of word in bengali the word siddha means boiled and siddha of course in sanskrit as well as in bengali means the one who is accomplished who has got established in spiritual knowledge who has realized a realized soul is a siddha and again uh, anything which is boiled is siddha so when sri ramakrishna indicated that you are already siddha so vidya sagar asked that what do you mean by that word siddha and then sri ramakrishna made a pun of that word by saying see that when potatoes and other vegetables are well cooked they become soft and tender so you are such a humble soul that the experiences of life have made you such a humble compassionate being so you are also a siddha in that sense so that you possess such a tender nature you are so compassionate and immediately vidya sagar so he is after all a very intelligent person so immediately he replied laughing but when the paste of kalai pulse is boiled it becomes all the harder so immediately vidya sagar retorted replied by saying by giving the example of a particular type of lentil it's kalai it's not very familiar uh, here in australia it's even in india it's not very familiar not very popular dal it's a something which in the eastern part of india in west bengal it's a particular type of lentil called kalai dal which when boiled instead of becoming soft it becomes harder so vidya sagar is just replying responding by saying why sir does the uh, anything boiling means becoming soft there are like kalai pulse which becomes harder so the experiences of life which instead of making us wiser may make us more reactive we find that the the situations of life may make us dejected this any we cannot go what you say avoid the circumstances of life the circumstances of life how we react to it that speaks of our character that speaks of our integrity some may become dejected some may we have become highly reactive some may become uh, very very what you say that uh, criticizing by nature and others just we find opposite from the experience they learn to be more compassionate they feel that all the hardships which i went through life it is because of not 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 getting cooperation from the people 
who is around me. So how much that cooperation was needed? Why not I extend to the people whom I find dejected? So that's the other way of reacting. So we can take the situation, how we react to the situation is totally which on which I have control. I have no control over the situations of life, but how I react to it, on that I do have control. And here we find the master immediately is responding, how nicely, but you don't belong to that class, that those who become hardened by the experiences of life, you don't belong to that class. Mere pandits are like diseased fruit that becomes hard and will not ripen at all. So that as in the last class we were saying that how we react to the situation that we decide that as a human being, we are responsible. No other creatures are responsible for their actions. All the creatures acts as per their instinct. They cannot go beyond their instinct. It is almost a fixed stimuli response conditioning. For the human being, we have the capacity to respond as per our choice. So that's why the word responsibility may, can be broken as responsibility. I have the ability to respond as per my choice. No other creature can do it. And on that depends my evolution. So that's how Sri Ramakrishna is nicely speaking, that your nature shows that you have responded to the circumstances of life in a very positive manner and that have made you compassionate. So such fruit has neither, actually then Sri Ramakrishna told that mere pandits are like diseased fruit that becomes hard and will not ripen at all. Such fruit has neither the freshness of green fruit nor the flavor of ripe. So they neither have the yearning which ripens to realization. When we read the scriptures, if it is merely for intellectual knowledge, it speaks what? That I neither have the yearning for realization. And if you don't have the yearning, you can never uh, evolve spiritually and realize the spiritual truth in your life. So by saying that neither he has the freshness of the green fruit, nor the flavor of the ripe, ripe Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that those mere pundits, neither they have the yearning, nor they have the realization. The yearning ripens into realization. So he has neither of them. But pundits have neither yearning nor realization. And then he's giving an example that what's the nature of academic knowledge? Those who never try to internalize the values, just the knowledge is meant for intellectual purpose. What's their nature? He's very nicely is indicating. Vultures soar very high in the sky, but their eyes are fixed on rotten carrion on the ground. The book learned are reputed to be wise, but they're attached to woman and gold. Like the vultures, they're in search of carrion. They're attached to the world of ignorance. Compassion, love of God and renunciation are the glories of true knowledge. So as we were indicating in the last class, that real education is the nervous association of ideas. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, that unless our education helps us to internalize the values, it's of no use. As in the modern science, there are so many branches of science which indicates the spiritual origin of the universe. Panpsychology, epigenetics, there are many such fields we, where we find that there is an indication of the consciousness as the foundation, as the real substance behind the creation. But you will find it is only merely for academic knowledge. Those knowledge in no way helps us to evolve spiritually. That if after all, that the consciousness is the be all and end all of existence. What it has to do with my life, if I never think that way, 
that I have to become more dispassionate. Just to give an example, even in the modern science with all our uh, advancement in the neurology, a very common phrase which is used in uh, modern science is that we are all chemistry. So when you are angry, it is certain hormones, certain enzymes that are secreted. When you are having feeling love, certain hormones, certain enzymes are secreted. So when you say that my love is something very genuine, even modern science will say it is a matter of pure chemistry. And from that, if you just see what's the question, how the question of orientation comes. So if it's a matter of mere chemistry in the modern world, how they interpret it in the materialistic way, that all these relations and everything as such has no, uh, that the question of sticking to the relation, to have a resolution that I will be just very faithful to the resolution has no meaning. It's just a mere, when, when the, 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 a one person come in, uh, what is association with another person, certain chemistry is going on that gives you a feeling of high, there it ends. What is the need for having a resolution behind that? And you will find that how it leads to a tremendous type of materialistic civilization where at last we find we are all the psychological wrecks that throughout the life, this harsh experiences we are going through, we are just going for the mad pleasures of life. At last, it is just simply draining us, squeezing us, wrenching us. That's one way of thinking. The other way of thinking is, yes, it's chemistry. Even in science, even in yoga, it doesn't need the modern science. If you read the Patanjali Yoga Sutra, how nicely you will find this idea that everything is chemistry has been indicated. But where the, there the, what is the orientation? If that's the chemistry, be detached, be the observer. Don't get involved too much with the sensitive pleasures of life. One orientation is saying get more and more involved in it and don't think of any sort of uh, what you say that seriousness in the relations. And other is speaking that don't go for serious relations at all, but at the end be detached. Don't get too much involved. And that helps in evolving. You no more, just the opposite thing happens. You don't become a psychological wreck. You become more and more integrated. So now you will understand that how the same knowledge with different type of orientation can lead to totally to different type of growth. One can lead to destruction. One can lead us spirally downwards. The other can take me spirally upwards. So that's why this, this what you say that internalization of the values is very much necessary, not mere education. So that's why how nice example Swamiji is giving that vultures soar, uh, Ramakrishna is giving vultures soar very high in the sky, but their eyes are fixed on rotten carrion on the ground. The book learned are reputed to be wise, but they are attached to women and gold. Like the vultures, they are in search of carrion. They are attached to the world of ignorance, compassion, love of God, and renunciation are the glories of true knowledge. Vidyasagar listened to these words in silence. The others too gazed at the master and were attentive to every word he said. Vidyasagar was very reticent about giving religious instruction to others. He had studied Hindu philosophy. Once when M had asked him his opinion of it, Vidyasagar had said, I think the philosophers have failed to explain what was in their minds. But in his daily life, he followed all the rituals of Hindu religion and wore the sacred thread of a Brahmin. About God, he had once declared, it is indeed impossible to know him. What then should be our duty? It seems to me that we should live in such a way that if others followed our example, this very earth would be heaven. Everyone should try to do good to the world. So we find that that's the utilitarian uh, uh, ideal, the utilitarian value that was spoken of as the highest ideal. That as per the, our spiritual uh, goal is concerned, most of them were agnostic. 
we don't know whether God is or not. But to be good and do good is the be all and end all of our religious existence. And Vidya Sagar, we find, is also subscribing to that type of ideology. So that's what we find from this world that about God, he had once declared it is in, in, indeed impossible to know him. What then should be your duty? So that, that agnosticism finds through that expression that it is impossible to know him. And indirectly what he's saying is, uh, we need not bother about it. It seems to me that we should live in such a way that if others follow our example, this very earth should be heaven, would be heaven. Everyone should try to do good to the world. Sri Ramakrishna's conversation now turned to the knowledge of Brahman. So in the skipping this in the background that Vidya Sagar had the idea that it is impossible to know him. So in that, uh, in this context, what Ramakrishna is saying, we will find has some really some significance. What is saying, Brahman is beyond Vidya and Avidya, knowledge and ignorance. It is beyond Maya, the illusion of duality. So when we say Brahman is beyond knowledge and ignorance. So here the knowledge doesn't mean the absolute knowledge. Absolute knowledge is the one with Brahman. When you are established in that, that absolute knowledge is Brahman. So when here it is speaking that he is beyond knowledge and ignorance, it is actually the knowledge which we understand in our this ordinary way. When I say I know, it is when you say I know, that is what the knowledge, there is some knowledge of which you know. It is you who know that speaks of your knowledge. And when you say I don't know, that speaks of your ignorance. So now we will understand that when we say that Brahman is beyond knowledge and ignorance, what it is actually indicating? That when I say I know, there is someone who is witnessing my knowledge, that what I know, that when I say I know, that I am witnessing, that I know that I know. When you say I don't know, it is you know that who you don't know, isn't it? Means it is you who that self-reflective awareness is saying, I don't know. Now take that self-reflective awareness. The one who says I know, it is the same self-reflective awareness which is saying, I don't know. So you are the witness of both the knowledge and the ignorance. You as the witness, you are the witness of both the knowledge. When you say, I know, it is you who are the witness of that knowledge. When you say, I don't know, again, it is you who are the witness of the ignorance. So all the knowledge and ignorance, which belongs to this phenomenal existence, for that, there is some witness, which is the same. The one who says, I know, is the same person who says, I don't know. So these are all speculative way of understanding these sentences that when Brahman, we say is beyond Vidya and Avidya, knowledge and ignorance. He's something beyond that. So he can never be deluded. To give another example, Suppose when I see that this is a very common example in Vedanta with the help of which we will try to understand that how Brahman is beyond Vidya and Avidya. That when I see a snake in a rope, the rope is lying in the twilight house, I see a snake. So because of ignorance, I am seeing the snake. But actually it is the rope. When I am seeing it as a snake, it is the rope. Someone comes, brings the torch, focuses it, and then I see, oh, it's actually a rope. My ignorance falls off. Now the vidya has arisen. I see the rope as it is. Now there are three states that when I was not in ignorance, before that, if uh, that uh, it is, it was rope, when I am within that ignorance, though I am seeing it as a snake, it is, it is the same rope. And when my ignorance breaks, I am again established in knowledge. It is the same rope. There is no change in that rope. Though I may see for the time being it as a snake, but actually there is no change. So similarly, the absolute reality, it is as it is. Because of ignorance, 
for me, it is appearing as this phenomenal existence. When the ignorance falls, the knowledge arises. Again, I will find it is the same ultimate reality which uh, is pervading the entire universe. Then is it that knowledge is created because of my realization? No, it's not created. It's not just the way uh, when I am ignorant about something uh, in this world, so when that uh, what you say the when the ignorance vanishes, I know. Does 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 that mean the thing was not existing? Just the way Swami uh, Swami Vivekananda is one of his lectures is indicating that Newton discovered gravitation. So when he discovered gravitation, does it mean that before the discovery the gravitation was not there? It was there. He just discovered, removed the covering of ignorance, and we know the thing which was already there. It was, it is, it will be. The knowledge and ignorance is a temporary state of our existence. The actual sat is always there. So that in that sense, sense master is saying that Brahman is beyond vidya and avidya, knowledge and ignorance. It is beyond maya, the illusion of duality. The world consists of the illusory duality of knowledge and ignorance. It contains knowledge and devotion and also attachment to woman and gold, righteousness and unrighteousness, good and evil. But Brahman is unattached to this. Good and evil apply to the jiva, the individual soul, as do righteousness and unrighteousness. But Brahman is not at all affected by them. So here Sri Ramakrishna is indicating a thing which is very important that if our attachment to woman and gold, as in the words of Ramakrishna, is in the domain of Maya, even our spiritual practices, knowledge and devotion is also in the domain of Maya. It's not beyond the domain of Maya. It is still within the domain of Maya. Brahman is beyond both. So what he is indicating is that this knowledge and devotion is something which is also in this domain of Maya. But with the help of that, I can get rid of attachment of woman and gold. So that's why in some other place, Sri Ramakrishna has indicated these two words, Vidya Maya, Avidya Maya. So knowledge and devotion is Maya, but it is Vidya Maya. And attachment to woman and gold, that also is Maya. That is Avidya Maya. So how to understand it in our day-to-day -day life? That so many times we have discussed that in this life, our mind is constituted in such a way that what I do out of necessity, that becomes an obsession. Anything today you do out of necessity, you go on repeatedly doing it again and again. It creates as if a groove in your mind that speaks of the neuroplasticity. Once the groove is created, you forget the necessity. Just to do that becomes your obsession and you start overdoing it. And now what was actually serving some purpose starts harming you because of the obsession. All our attachments can be understood from this perspective, all. Anything we are attached to, that out of necessity we start doing, that just here as Sri Ramakrishna saying woman and gold, what it speaks of, that gold gives us food, the currency gives us food, woman speaks of lust for a man. And what it speaks of, that, that continuity of the lineage, procreation. That these are the two things you will find that gold gives us food and this, uh, the lust speaks of procreation. What it is actually speaking of? It's actually speaking of necessity. From the very beginning of inception of life, just take a small microbe, what it is doing? It just, it's doing constantly two things. It is taking food to sustain itself and it is procreating. So that when it dies, the lineage continues through the, the successive generations. So that's the bacteria does, a small microbe does, and that's the common in all the creatures and at last and human beings. So this necessity 
made all the creatures do it again and again and again repeatedly and as a result what has happened as a human being if we just search within is there any other thing which is binding us these are the two things you will find this for this or for what you say that to satiate our hunger we have to earn that's fix of the goal and of course the think of the progeny this lust is an essential thing but what has happened now the thing which was necessity by constant that it by this so much of repetition it has created such a deep groove in our mind that it has become a very strong obsession and you it's what a strong obsession it is that you just open the newspaper you open any news channel you will find every day that if any crime is there has been enacted at last it boils down to either of these two 99% of the crime so what it speaks of the thing which was necessity has become an obsession and it is taking us spirally downwards that's why it is avidya maya now what this knowledge and devotion how it is vidya maya so now by default we have this avidya maya by default from birth you don't have to try for it it is there in our genes what speaks of the vidya maya vidya maya is something which we can develop by design which all the spiritual gurus have done what they have done in any religious tradition irrespective of the variety of the doctrines beliefs the there will be so many different beliefs but is there anything common the common thing is you will find repetition the christians in the church repeat the same prayer the muslims will be repeating the same prayer and here also in the hindu tradition also the same prayer we are repeating every day every all the culture has rosary the same mantra you will be repeating whether it is ava maria or if it is uh, that is say that this uh, for the the buddhist uh, amitabha butsu or in hindu there are so many mantras even in islam there is a rosary there, there is there are mantras so these repetition it is one of the very very uh, core spiritual practice in all the religious tradition what it speaks of why this tradition is there because all the religious tradition understood that by mind by repeating anything it creates a groove and once the groove is created you develop an obsession for it so here there is a scope for designing you design your mind what you got by default that was taking you spiral downwards now by constantly relating to the spiritual dimension of existence with the help of all those repetitions all those mantras all those names of the gods whatever it may be in tradition your prayers when you repeat it again and again though at the beginning you are doing it willfully it has been prescribed morning evening or five times a day whatever it may be as per your religious tradition you are repeating it again and again willfully know it for certain that when you do it sincerely in short time in a, in in few years or maybe in, even in few months you will suddenly find a liking has developed a love has developed for doing it and then the will is replaced by replaced by spontaneity by love the people say that love god and you may ask how can i love god i don't feel like loving god first we have to willfully repeat his name willfully go on doing the same practice again and again the love will come naturally because because the mind is constituted that way what you do repeatedly that creates an obsession when it creates a groove an obsession will be developed and that's why all the tradition speaks of repetition again and again you go on doing it and then that love for their practice will develop as in the uh, bhakti tradition very nicely it has been spoken ei horinam nite nite bhakti mukul futbechite that if the devotion is like a bud in your heart it is yet to bloom go on taking the name but just by the process of taking the name it will bloom 
So once it blooms, now the question is what happens? In our day-to-day life, we find that when I have some obsession for one thing and I develop an obsession for some other thing, they coexist. It doesn't that that by the obsession of the new thing doesn't enter in the end of the previous obsession. They can coexist. But here something wonderful happens. Once you develop that love for divine with the help of all those repetitions, you will find the other desires are gradually diminishing. Why it happens? Because there's a qualitative difference between the spiritual, this love which you have developed through the spiritual practices and all those inordinate loves which speaks of the sense of presence. What is the qualitative difference? All the sensed pleasures of life, which at last boils down to woman and gold, you will find they are dependent on something external. I have to depend on something for wealth. Yes, I have to depend on something external. If the wealth is there, uh, which I have to acquire, and not only acquire, I have to again preserve it. Relations, I have to Establish the relation and then establish it. It all depends on something external. As a result, what happens? It is always tinged with concerns, mixed with concerns. Why? Till I don't get the thing I want, whether it is wealth or position in life or any relation, which I am extremely hankering for, till I don't get it. Constantly that concern is there. I may not, I may not get the relation I want. I may not get the wealth. I may not get the position, power and position, which I want. I may not get. Once I get, again, the concern is there. I may lose it. The relations may break. My wealth, I may lose. I may lose. My position in life, it may all go. This concern is always there. But this love, when you start thinking of the divine, it is something totally intrinsic. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Chada Mama Shakolir Mama. That when, you know, that the moon is the uncle, for a small child, the mother says that this moon is your uncle. So the moon is uncle of all. By, by that, what he means? That when in our life I love someone, if some other person loved that person, there will be some jealousy. That I want that the, the one whom I love, his total love should be reciprocated to me. There shouldn't be any share in that. That's, that's quite obvious. But when you love God, if someone else loves God, there is no question of that jealousy. It is intrinsic. The love of God is universal. So something which you are loving intrinsically, there is no question of clash. There is no question of friction. There is no question of losing. It is always with you. So this is the qualitative difference. In the words of Mirabai, kharche nahi koi, chor na leve, dina dina varata savayo. That it never gets expended. The wealth gets expended. This never gets expended. Actually, it increases. The more you practice, the more the groove depends, the more intense is your love. The more intense is your obsession. That's what we find in all the mystic cultures. Their love is growing. It grows to such an extent that it overwhelms them. Means uh, they don't know how to keep themselves under control. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, that the state of the mystics, how he used to say that if in a party, uh, just you think of having a drink, you just have a small peg, you find it's okay that you, though you enjoy the intoxication, but still you can go on with your socialization, you can balance. But if you continue for a few pegs more, the socialization will fall off. You get totally drunk, totally intoxicated. You cannot socialize anymore. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that if you get too much drunk, you cannot socialize. So in the life of the mystics, we find that starts with that little love where they can keep the balance with the society as well as that love. But they cannot stop there. The more you practice, the more the group deepens, groove deepens, the more stronger the obsession, and then that overwhelms you. 
So there is no question of expanding out. It increases. So kharche nahi koi. Chor, no one can steal it away from you. It is something within. Dina dina varata. It goes on increasing. The more you practice, the more it increases. So this is the love which takes you spirally upwards. It makes you forget everything else. Why it makes you forget? All other worldly loves can coexist. But this cannot coexist. As we gave that example so many times. That till now in our mind there were so many roads which had this crossroads. My interest clashes with other interests. I was passing through these crossroads. And when you are going through the traffic, you have to follow the signal because there are so many crossroads. It's not that you can drive freely. Your interest is going to be hampered, uh, obstructed by someone else's interest. You won't get the green signal always. You have to get the red signal. But if you're on a freeway, then what happens? There's no question of signal. You simply are driving. So this love, new love, is like designing a freeway. As per the default, all the roads were having crossroads. In the entire process of our evolution, all the roads which we have developed did have crossroads. There was competition. The food which I want, others also want. There's a competition. Relations, positions, everywhere we are in the crossroads. This new love, there's no as such crossroads. If crossroads are there, you find, then know that devotion is not pure. It is a show of devotion, not the real devotion. I want to show that I am very religious. Then, of course, the crossroads can develop. We do find in the name of religion, so much of hypocrisy is there. Why it happens? Because it is not the pure love. It is a show of love. Then again, uh, there will be the crossroads. But the one who has developed that real devotion by repeating the name of Lord, he is in no way in any of the crossroads. That the love which he feels, he has to show no one. He is quite happy with him himself. And it goes on increasing. And this is the thing which speaks of the real meditation. It's no more will. You don't have to will to sit down and meditate. Just like the mother never sits down to meditate on the child lest she forgets her. The love makes her think of the child in all her activities, whatever she may be doing. She can never forget. It has become like the toothache. So this love becomes something spontaneous. And spontaneous love, as it grows more and more, what it happens? That all the spiritual realization actually speaks of. What is the spiritual realization actually? Is a falling of the ego. That this sense that I am this limited body-mind complex. This is the cause of our ignorance. When this ego falls off, immediately you get established in that absolute knowledge. It is the absolute reality which is getting reflected in your body-mind complex to develop that ego, that I am. There's like the sun in the sky which gets reflected in each of the waves in the ocean. All the reflections are the egos creating as if an individual identity. Each wave thinks I am an individual with the reflected sun as my real soul. All are thinking. But is that uh, reflected sun the reality? No. It is just a reflection. So if the wave subsides, then what will where that reflection will go? It will merge with that sun. Similarly, the wave of ego, when it subsides, when the mind constantly in the form of waves it is rising, when it subsides, your, you will find that the ego has merged with that absolute reality. That you alone are there. In all the mystic experiences, you will find that unitary experience has been spoken of. Even those who believe in the dualism, I am God. But when they go to that reality, even in the words of Jesus, they have to say, I and my father are one. The same Jesus who says that, that uh, I am the, that uh, God is the vine and that, that's a, the, what you say that I am a grape and he's the entire, that, uh, what you say, the, the vine. It's the same Jesus is saying that I and my father are one. So from which sense that this, even from the duality, it falls off. When, when you go to that extreme love, tremendous love, in love what happens? 
the object which you are loving you are thinking so intensely the all the thought of everything else falls off you will find that one who is mad with love everything they forget and when that love intensifies it becomes so intense that at last the last thing to fall off is our ego even that also is taken away the mind is totally engrossed with the object of love that has been spoken of as samadhi the samadhi's definition is wonderful triputi veda the veda this the, when i am meditating when even when i am in an intense meditation there is a clear distinction of three things dhyana dhyata dhyaya the process of meditation the object of meditation and the one who is meditating the one who is meditating is dhyata the object of meditation is dhyaya and dhyana is the process by which the, these two are connected in the samadhi what happens that bheda that collapses this three triads collapses why the ego has fallen off that i am meditating this idea is no more there you are one with the object of meditation you have as if created a hole in the wall of ego and you are peeping through it and what you see that expands of that absolute reality so now we will find that why knowledge and devotion though it is in the world of maya still in the world of maya the devotion it is with the help of the same mind with which you are attached to the world the same mind you are using to develop devotion you are not beyond the mind but this can take you away beyond this mind it falls off at last when you enter to that intense flow in modern psychology these are the two subjects which are studied very means quite broadly this is neuroplasticity and flow and this too can actually speak a lot about our spiritual evolution it starts with the neuroplasticity you're designing you're repeating the same thing that neuroplasticity will develop an obsession for the new thing which you have designed that new luck new liking and once that spontaneity comes because of that liking now the flow ensues and that flow can take you to that absolute realization so now you will find that how nicely sri ramakrishna's word you can relate that, that what is knowledge and ignorance there's this this new designed way of relating to that absolute reality is the knowledge and devotion that also belongs to the mind and attachment to the gold woman and gold that also belongs to the right to the mind so that's the thing but the absolute reality is beyond that the world consists of illusory duality of knowledge and ignorance it contains knowledge and devotion and also attachment to woman and gold righteousness and unrighteousness good and evil but brahman is unattached to this good and evil apply to the jeeva the individual soul so do righteousness and unrighteousness but brahman is not at all affected by them so that's the thing which sri ramakrishna that what is saying we are trying to just expand so why we are doing this that we again and again we will say that the master's words are so simple we feel we have understood just but actually, and many will be speaking that ramakrishna that uh, swami vivekananda is giving these lectures on vedanta what it has to do with the ramakrishna's teaching he has spoken in such a simple word that actually now you will find that vivekananda's entire lecture is a commentary on that we think and that's that's the wonderful gift of ramakrishna he makes all of us feel that we have understood him all of us we feel but that's why uh, all the senior monks say that go on reading the gospel as your understanding will be more and more clear you will find the same words have much deeper meaning so the gospel is a wonderful book it it actually testifies your our own spiritual evolution our own uh, what you say that more and more clarification of our ideas it speaks of that the when first time you have read though you thought you have understood but you have understood in a very limited sense the second time you read the idea you find is much more uh, broadened your perspectives are broadening and your vision is broadening and the meanings are getting more and more clear it is taking you to higher and higher understanding of the same words one 
man may read the Bhagavata by the light of a lamp and another may commit a forgery by that very light. But the lamp is unaffected. The sun sheds its light on the wicked as well as on the virtuous. That's the way sun is not affected. The same light with the help of which one is committing forgery, counterfeiting the coins, or the another is reading the scripture, the same sunlight, the light is not affected. How can we relate it to the discussion just we had now? It is the consciousness which when comes association with the mind, the mind gets activated. With this mind, I can go spirally downwards, but for that same consciousness has to activate the mind. If it is not there, mind by itself cannot get activated. The mind has become illumined because, because of the conscious principle is in association with that. And with that, first I go spirally downwards because of all those obsessions. It's the same light when it is reflecting the mind. When I learn from the experiences of life, life I, I, with the help of the same mind, again I move spirally upwards. But in, is, is in any way the conscious principle is getting affected? It is as it is. It is only that because of ignorance, I am getting more and more uh, bound in my, so, so my, what do you say, the, in your own mind, like, like uh, the cocoon gets at last, if it doesn't come out of its shell, it dies in its own cocoon. Sometimes our mind becomes like a cocoon in which we die. But if we realize that we are going to die in proper time, we have to break the out through it. And like a butterfly, we have to fly off. So this is the thing which has been indicated. The mind is has to be in association with the conscious principle to be activated. Now, what I do with that active mind, it depends on me. If I'm in ignorance, I will be going spiral downwards. If I have realized that it is not going to take me anywhere, I'm using the same mind to come out of it. But in no way, the absolute reality is affected by what I'm doing with it. So you may ask, how then one can explain misery and sin and unhappiness? The answer is that these apply only to Jiva. That as long as I'm in ignorance, this all sin, unhappiness, misery, everything belongs to that ignorance, the state of that ignorance. When I am feeling that I am unhappy, the real conscious principle is as it is, as it is my, because of the ignorance, I am identified with the body-mind complex. And that's why the changes there makes me miserable. But I am the same thing, the same absolute reality. It in no way affects me. So it is because of Maya that I feel that I am going through all these experiences. Just when, when I'm dreaming, in the dream, the dream is real. When I'm dreaming, I don't, I don't feel that I'm just dreaming. They're all real. And, then, and the, all the nightmare at last breaks. And when you wake up, then you feel, oh, all these horrible things which I was thinking is, go, is happening to me, which was all just mere a dream. So as long as you're in the dream, that's the state of the jiva. So here, our real life is also a dream that the dream which we have at night when we are sleeping is a dream within the dream. But this itself is a dream. When this dream breaks, then you are established with the reality. But as long as I am dreaming, I am identified with all those characters. I think I am that. And that is affecting me. There's a wonderful story which Swami Vivekananda used to elucidate, to uh, describe this, to elucidate this concept of Maya. That you all know, but it's good in this context to relate to that story. That once Narada, he asked Krishna that, that everywhere in the scriptures, everyone speaks of Maya. Or what actually is this Maya? Krishna told, okay, I will explain you. Come, let us go for a walk. So after a long walk, Krishna told that I am feeling a bit thirsty. Can you fetch me a glass of water? Narada told, okay, well, well you sit, sit under the shade of the tree. Yes, I am seeing a village nearby. Let me go there and I will fetch you a glass of water. So Krishna told, okay. So Krishna was sitting on the shade of the tree and Narada went to fetch a glass of water. He walked down to the near, nearby village, which was visible. 
knocked the door of one of the house. A very beautiful lady, young lady opened the door. Narada started conversing with her. And in the process of conversation, he start uh, feeling, has started developing love for her. And he forgot that in the meantime, the father of the girl came out seeing this young man, that Narada was a young sage that time, seeing him, uh, he just asked, uh, would you be our guest for a few days? Immediately agreed. He agreed and he just started staying with them. And then he asked the girl whether he was willing to marry him. He told you, ask my father. He asked his father. And that's how the father also agreed. They married and he was the only child of the father. So after a few days when the father died and the entire property became to Narada and they were having a happy married life. And had they had three children. They were quite prosperous. And suddenly there was a flood. One night, the dam of the river broke. There was a heavy rain, flash flood was there. And when Narada woke up already, the village was under waters. Narada immediately woke up his wife and the three children and told, we have to move out. So now to move out of the village, they have to cross the river. But though the river was not deep, but because of the flood water, the stream was very, very, the, the, the waters was flowing very, very forcefully. So though cautiously he was trying to cross the river, how he was trying? So he uh, had one child on his shoulders and he uh, got hold of the, uh, this other two child, uh, one child in one hand and was holding uh, this, uh, what do you say that one was, uh, sorry, one was on the lap and, and uh, another was in his hand and wife was along with him moving. And as they were about to cross the river, suddenly the wife was carried away by the stream. It was such a strong stream. And now in, as in a reflex to save, the, save his wife, he just lost hold of that child whom he was holding. So the child also started getting washed away. Now to save both of them, the one who was in, uh, he was holding with the other hand, that also started, he also started being washed away. And Narada, uh, knowing not what to do, he was after them, chasing after them with the hope that somehow he will catch them. In the process, the one who was sitting on the shoulder was washed away. And then Narada himself started going along with the flow. The flow was so strong. He couldn't find anywhere where the wife and the children has gone. But he himself somehow got stuck with a rock on the bank of the river and he was saved that way. He was on the bank, but he could find no one. The wife and all has been flowed away. All has been taken away. And he was now crying just miserably, sitting on the bank. He was crying that where all has gone. Miserably, he was crying, weeping, wailing. And suddenly he sensed a tap on the back. Someone was tapping on his back. So he looked around. So it was Krishna. He told her, where is my glass of water? Go, then you know, glass of water? Well, yeah, just half an hour back, uh, you just told that I'm going to the village to have a, fetch a glass of water. I'm just waiting for the glass of water. Where is the glass of water? So this is Maya. So this is beyond space time causation, just like in the dream. That in, that in your that night dream, most probably years have passed away. So, so this is the concept of Maya, that when you're in ignorance, the time, space, causation, everything comes into picture, giving you the sense of reality. All this misery, seen, unhappiness is within this domain. As long as I'm in the dream, I am the jiva. Actually, I am the same Brahman. The when this, how I become the jiva because of ignorance. When the ignorance falls off, the jiva is no more there. You become one with the absolute. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna, how nicely. So that's why we find this is his conversation with Vidya Sagar. You will find Ramakrishna is a wonderful person. Just a few days back, someone was saying that in the gospel we find Sri Ramakrishna is speaking only of devotion, devotion, devotion. And in Ramakrishna mission, it's all Vedanta you are preaching. How come you are following Ramakrishna? You know what happened actually when the gospel 
the gospel, how it came into existence. It's in the weekend. It's on the Sundays where the devotees were free. All the householders who were free, they did not have to go for work. That's the day they could come to Sri Ramakrishna. Even the author of the gospel is a householder. He also most of the time could visit Ramakrishna on the weekend. And the weekend, it is only the householder devotees who were there to speak of Atman Brahman to them will be too much because they are so much involved with the life and he used to speak of them devotion. Just, just uh, resign to the divine, just whatever you are doing. So we find that scripture is full of devotion. But the same Ramakrishna, when he is with someone who can really relate to that Advaitic Vedanta, like Vidyasagar, he's a Pandit. Just see, his conversation is totally different. So it is to whom he's speaking that all the sannyasi disciples of Ramakrishna, they were, they were not only the weekend visitors. Now and then they used to visit Ramakrishna, stay with him. Even when the even on the weekdays when no one were with him, it is these young boys who were with Ramakrishna, his chosen few. To them he spoke of. Uh, there was a uh, Ashtavakra Gita in uh, Ramakrishna's room. He never allowed anyone to touch it. But when Narendranath used to come, he will ask him to read it for him. It is full of that Advaitic knowledge. And at that time, Narendranath was actually a, uh, what you say, a member of Brahma Samaj, where they speak of Brahman, but that is Saguna Brahman, God with attributes. And we are not one with him. We should relate to him through devotion. But this Ashtavakra Gita, Gita speaks of Aham Brahmasmi, that I am that absolute. So immediately Narendranath would retort back. I won't read that book. It is blasphemy because he was from Brahma Samaj. And Ramakrishna is to cajole him by saying, see, I am illiterate. I cannot read. It's not for you. Will you read it for me? So that's how he made him read that. Just see, his instructions are different for different groups. So now you will understand that how these Vedanta centers came into existence. It has been formed by Swami Vivekananda and this direct, uh, what you say, the monastic disciples of Ramakrishna to whom what he used to speak, you can understand from this conversation with Vidyasagar, how he's speaking of the same, uh, the same person who will be saying that just have devotion to God. You need not uh, think of all those jnana vichara. Ah, that just have resigned to divine. The same person, when he's in presence of Vidyasagar, his conversation is totally different because he knows that he has studied all these things. He's a Pandit and he's just see the, to which, to, so what a sublime level he's taken his conversation. So you may ask, how then can one explain the misery and unhappiness? The answer is that, that applies only to Jiva. Brahman is unaffected by them. There is poison in a snake. That's again this Ramakrishna's wonderful capacity to explain the profound truth in such a simple language with so simple example. There is a poison in a snake, but though others may die if bitten by it, the snake itself is not affected by the poison. So how this simple example, that Lord, it is God whose the Maya is his. The Maya is not something apart from the divine. It belongs to him, but it cannot affect him. He is Maya Dhish. He is beyond Maya. That the poison which can kill others, the same poison he, he is carrying, the snake is carrying, it doesn't affect him. He is Maya Dhish. So in, even in Bhagavad Gita, we find the idea of Atma Maya and Guna Maya. In the 14th uh, sloka of the 7th chapter, that's very nicely, this is saying, Daivi Yesha Guna Mai Mama Maya Duratyaya Mamevaye Prapadyante Mayam Etam Tarantite. It's very simple. It is very difficult for you to go beyond Maya by your own endeavor. This Gunamai Maya, what it is, we won't go to the discussion again because to understand this, what is Gunamaya, Atmaya, it will need one class. And there is, it is not in the context here also. Just to understand that we, those who are bound by the Maya, how to get rid of it. Mamaya Duratya, it is almost impossible. But there is a way out. Take resort to me, the one who is beyond the Maya. I can pull out of you, right from you. So when 
as if that in a, in school uh, we used to explain this to the small children this way suppose you have fallen in a well and with all your effort you cannot come out it's quite high and then someone what you say that extends the hand but it doesn't reach you but when you jump then somehow you can hold his hand and now he can pull you out so that's the uh, balance between the purushakar and kripa a little jump from your is necessary but he is waiting there with the extended hands to pull you out so he take resort to him call on him that much is the effort rest all is his he will take you out of it he is the maya dish is beyond that though the maya is his he is beyond that we will again this elaborate on this concept of the maya dish and maya din uh, before we proceed uh, to the next conversation again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskar sir